to the Art Problems Podcast, episode 14. I'm your host, Patty Johnson. This is a podcast where we talk about how to get more shows, grants, and residencies. And today I am here with Julie Pepito to talk about self-acceptance in your 40s and 50s. Julie, welcome. Hi, Patty. Thank you for having me. Yeah, sure. Now, I wanted to just begin this podcast by introducing you a little bit because I met you through Network, but I'd actually met you a little bit earlier because we had talked about this. I wrote about your work in 2007 when you were at the Aqua Art Fair and I wrote about your drawings. And so when you joined Network, I knew that I was sort of familiar with your work and I don't think I knew that basically I knew I knew your drawings and I knew you from Facebook and and that sort of thing. But you're really primarily a sculptor who makes tapestries and illustrate like installations, collages, drawings. Is that how you would characterize yourself? Well, yeah, I, you know, I make everything. So I still make drawings actually similar to the ones you saw at Aqua, but I've made sculpture and drawing and everything all along. A big part of what I do is try to connect all kinds of materials as a metaphor for how we are all connected to everyone and everything in the world. Mm. And I, I think just so people have kind of a picture of what they look like, the drawings at least might be incredibly detailed. They almost that like line drawings that that may be figurative um, include images of of animals. Um, they're kind of collage like in the sense of the like the way the the kind of forms build on each other. Does that sort of sound right to you? Yeah, I've done in the past a lot of as far as those more two D pieces go. I've done life drawing of insects and nature and people and sometimes vehicles and other things. And they kind of blend or merge with found objects and trash and uh, other imagery that's more colorful. Um, it's kind of like these two-dimensional pencil or charcoal drawings that blend into uh chaotic imagery of everything, kind of images of overwhelming things collaged together, sewn together, stuck together of different values and color. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And so this work is going to be uh, on view at the Camp Gallery in April and in September. So I want everybody to be on the lookout for that. And, you know, just so all of you know, I had a couple of reasons for inviting you, Julie, to the show, and I wanted to mention both. Now, first was that you had mentioned that you wanted to be on a podcast, so I knew that you were interested in doing something, even if it wasn't with me, and I just wanted to mention that to all of the people who are listening to the Art Problems podcast, that this is part of the way that opportunities come into being. You tell people that what you want, and if they can, if it makes sense, they'll say, oh, I can help, or let's do this together. Now, the other reason is that I feel like you are just so good at being transparent with the emotional struggles that you have, and I wanted others to 
like have the same perspective that I do with you, because I think it's something that I kind of connect with. I think it's like a, a superhero skill that you have. So I'm always excited when I'm, I'm able to, to share that. Now, if it's, since we're talking about self-acceptance, I wonder, you know, if it's possible, like, can you talk about like a point in your life when you were like, okay, this is where it all began. I mean, I know that's, <laughs> I was born and then <laughs> um, with self-consciousness came self-doubt. But <laughs> Well, actually, like for me, when I was born and, and really the beginning of my life, I was pretty confident with my art and everything, I had a lot of positive feedback and support for my art. Like pretty much the minute that like, I, like when I was in second grade, I drew this turkey that looked a whole lot like a turkey. And I won a big competition in, uh, in Oklahoma, where I'm from, uh, a state competition in the second grade. And then it was just like, oh my God, you know, Julie is the artist in the family. She's going to be the next Picasso. All this uh, praise for years and years. And you like, you literally had a teacher say that, right? Like I did. I had a more than once. Uh, <laughs> I had teacher and people would say particularly that phrase. Um, she's the next, she's going to be the next Picasso, which was pretty interesting at the time. I thinking back, like as a woman, to be called a male, this male figure in the art world, what, that aspect of it was also interesting to me. But then I applied to the Cooper Union. I applied to a lot of art schools, but I ended up going to Cooper Union because when I was at this art portfolio day in Kansas City, I was told that I had never heard of them, but I was told that it was one of the best art schools in the country and it was free and I didn't have any money for school. So I applied and I was so excited. I wanted to go to New York City so bad. And I, I got in and it ended up being a very different experience than what I thought it was going to be. So what uh, did you think it was going to be? I was excited about going to Cooper because I thought I was going to be with uh, a community of artists that I, and be, you know, really part of something bigger and that I would grow and I was I was so excited to just be like filled with the knowledge of like real artists in the, you know, like be in this community. And when I, so I kind of deconstructed my ego in a way to go there. Everybody kept telling me you're going to be a big fish. I mean, a little fish in a big pond when you've been a big fish in a little pond. And so I kind of did this mental gymnastics where I was like, okay, I'm going to go there. I'm not going to have a big ego. I'm just going to absorb what they have to teach me and grow, which apparently was exactly the wrong thing to do because. <laughs> um, why is that? <laughs> well, because what was happening at the time in the art world was exactly the opposite of who I was. I didn't realize it, but I learned that I was a process-oriented artist. And I had never heard that term before. 
I didn't realize that there was were divisions in the art world between fine art and craft. I didn't realize any of that. And so I came in and was over the four years told over and over again that what I was making was not art. And so I went from feeling like I was going to be Picasso to being told that what I love to make, the way I like to make it, and really my what my entire identity was wrapped up in was wrong. And, you know, I was told that I should be selling my stuff on the street at craft fairs. And uh, I was told that I should cut up and burn this one piece. Like it was a lot of stuff that it, that I was, I was actually embarrassed later that I let affect me, but yeah, it had. Frankly, I mean, to me, it makes perfect sense that of course it would, because like when you go to art school, you go to learn yours and like everything they tell you in art school is that you're, you're supposed to like make a lot of bad work and be open to change and all that other shit. And so I think one of the strengths of art school is that they tell you this so that you can really experiment. But one of the real problems with it is you can lose who you are. Exactly. And I, I mean, I actually later realized like it's kind of a testament to myself that I didn't lose who I was, but I did. But making art from that point forward was a fight. I had an internal fight every time I tried to get something out and having constant conversations with myself, working through the, is this art? Isn't this art? It took me a long time to just be like, I don't care what it is. I just have to make it. I think one of the things that you're you're getting at are these divisions between craft and uh, the fine art world and how at that time they were much more strong than they are now. We're just in such a different world where craft is being completely embraced in a way that it that it never did. But by the same token I would say that there are there's still real divisions within the art world that tell you like you can you can participate in this market if you do x thing and you are in some other market if you're doing something else and mm -hmm. if you are in art school they're teaching you and i think one of the problems with art school is they don't tell you that that is implicitly what they're doing but they're teaching you how like how to make work that participates and is sold in a very specific market, right? That market is the gallery world. And the feedback that you got was that you don't belong in that market. And so of course- Simultaneously, I'm sorry to interrupt, but simultaneously yeah. you're being told that you're actually not being told you're gonna participate in, an, in any market. Right. You're, you're told that you should just explore who you are, except for that at that time, it had to be either conceptual or minimalism, conceptualism or yeah, minimalism. Explore who you are within these <laughs> narrow confines. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there's, and don't think about business. There's no thing, you know, is somebody else going to take care of that? You know, you just follow your, your bliss and as my 
husband said, follow your bliss right off a cliff. And then, (laughs) you know, everything will just magically work out because you're going to this very prestigious art art school. And when you graduate, you're going to get a gallery uh, and you're going to become a rich, famous artist. And I think also what is implicit in that message and sometimes said, uh, because I guess like, but not in these such explicit terms, is that you want to show at galleries because that is better. Like that is like, if you are showing at a craft fair, that is somehow beneath. Totally. Totally. I mean, I actually, I had this really uh, amazing experience once at Cooper. I was in Hans Hacke's sculpture class and uh, I was being attacked. (laughs) I was, you know, I, I had a crit and, and that's where the guy, one of the guys said, you know, I don't know why you're making this stuff. It should just be, you know, you should just be selling it at a craft fair on the street. And Hans Hacke stepped in to his credit and he said, what's wrong with that? And the the guy was speechless. So I did have that in my head to kind of help me move forward and be right. like, okay, Hans Hacke says, and it's Hans Hacke, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so he 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 kind of in a way defended me, but you know it still was not the, the main th- one of the main things that was unspoken was that when you graduate, also you will not need any other skills, and they didn't teach you any business skills at all, and effectively you were being released to be an entrepreneur. And, and there was this whole denial about that as well. That, well yeah, especially know. because at that time, I think like the market was bad. Uh, <laughs> podcasters can't see this, but I'm using scare quotes there. <laughs> um, um, sorry, listeners. But, but I think there was a, there's a real kind of push against capitalism. And there was also at that time an idea of selling out that I don't think exists in the same way. You were a sellout if you worked for a major corporation. Now you're like a winner if you do that. And I kind of, I internalized that as well because, and which is another thing, like I never got, I was felt like it was bad. I thought several times of going to business school and uh, I always thought, oh, no, that's bad. I, business is yeah. bad. And I, I mean, it's I do for artists. feel like there's a lot of, bad things about business. So it, it, (laughs) you know, their businessmen are kind of, you know, a lot of them destroying the world. So that, that all, it was, it's confusing. But what I later realized is that, you know, the answer is not being ignorant of it, not knowing anything about it, that you need to be knowledgeable about these things so that you can, uh, so that diverse voices if I can speak around it, can, can be heard. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So I think we've talked a little bit about how this experience um, impacted you, but I wanted to like later on, but I wondered if we could maybe hear of a few kind of examples of how uh, it, it influenced like what you decided to do because for a period of time, you were working in the craft world, right? Yeah. I mean, I thought at a certain point, I was like, well, 
you know, if the, if what I do is, if you want to define it as craft and if, if it's not defined, like, like I wanted to listen <laughs> and be like, okay, this is, if this is where I fit, this is what I love to do. I don't need you art world. Uh, I'll go to the craft world. Like what's the big deal? Who cares? I'm not going to feel lower because I'm doing this. It is who I am. So that I guess that maybe that was my first kind of like trying to accept what I did and not see it as lower, really. Just see it as different. Like what was your experience with the craft world like? Well, so I, I went to the, in Baltimore, there was the uh, Baltimore craft market, which was like, you know, high craft and or what was defined as high craft. And I, I loved working with fibers and I've always made jewelry. I made jewelry right alongside uh, drawing and painting and sculpting when I was in high school. And I, I actually would, I had a business going, I, I would make jewelry out of found objects and fiber and sell them at my parents, uh, at my friend's parents' houses for, for extra money. And so I was an op- entrepreneur. I didn't realize <laughs> <laughs> and um, although, I mean, just a short side note, when I went to the Cooper Union Portfolio Day and when I was, you know, looking for for colleges, it should have been a red flag to me because I saw I went to the Cooper. Somebody told me to go to the Cooper table. I saw the guy destroy like three artists in front of me. And I was so nervous. And I got to the table and he was like looking at my drawings. He was like, oh, these are. Yeah, you can apply. And then he looked at my jewelry and he was like, forget this. Get rid of this get rid of this, get rid of this. And so, you know, I chose to go to this school that basically was denying one big part of what I did, but I just didn't realize it at the time. So, I mean, I think it's like, he's giving you advice for how to get into the school, right? Which is, this is quote unquote stronger than this, or like, this is what they're going to respond to. Right. And yeah. it turned out he w- that was correct, right? Was right. Um, yeah, because in Cooper, it was always the word decorative was such a bad word. And I was always, my pieces were always getting called decorative. But anyways, uh, back to uh, the craft world. I felt really stuck there as well because it was so business oriented that uh, on a smaller scale that um, I had become like this one woman sweatshop. Uh, I was making, my beads were very time consuming to make and uh, everything was time consuming. It was all labor, you know, like sewing and it, people liked it, but I couldn't charge enough to, uh, right. to make a living. And then I had a, also couldn't really express the things that I wanted to express through it. Like I had more to say that I felt like in that, those formats, I couldn't say as much. Um, Meaning like you had political content that you wanted to infuse in the work and people didn't want that in their beadwork? Yeah. Or I didn't know how to put it in. I mean, I was actually incredibly inspired by uh, the artist Joyce Scott. Do you know her? Oh, yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. And when I was in, uh, I I loved her since high school. And when I was at Cooper, though, nobody had ever heard of her. Well, it's just mind boggling that that's that that that's the case. I mean, she had a major retrospective at the new museum, right? Like, yeah, but this was 1988, well, right? Right. Um, which just speaks to how far we've come. Yes, it does. 
But the piece that inspired me the most of her, which I think that has really influenced a huge all of my work, because she combined all these materials and she was a jewelry maker. And so and she was able to be political in her jewelry. Mm. And she made this piece called the Jonestown Massacre that was at my local museum in Tulsa. And it just had a huge effect on me. And so I knew I had all that, you know, because of my confidence from my childhood, it did carry me, you know, and that I had seen things that I knew were art <laughs> and, yes. uh, you know, but anyway, so I continued to, to make the, the, I was making pillows and boxes and jewelry and I, I made those, but I also was continuing to paint and sculpt and do all my other stuff and, and still doing that. But then that was just way too much. So um, where does that bring us? Where so, should I? Well, I, I mean, I am curious about like, so you're in the craft world at this point and everything from Cooper Union that you've experienced tells you that that is the world that you should be in. From your perspective, having gone through all of that, were you feeling a kind of imposter syndrome or like self-doubt in that world too? Or did it not really exist because you hadn't had those criticisms applied? I was feeling a bit of that. And it really, in both of the worlds, it, it all came down to business because I didn't have any, I was just making things up as I went along. And when it came to having some kind of path, some kind of guidance in how to run a business, how to sell my work. Uh, and so I was working retail, you know, and doing this stuff at the same time. And, uh, you know, I was young though. And I just thought this is what I was supposed to do as an artist. You know, you're supposed to struggle. It's supposed to be hard. And like, oh yeah, you know, yeah. You, you know, I'm 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 paying my dues. You know that. So my you know my perception that you know you just go to art school, you get your degree, and then you get a gallery and you're rich and famous, kind of went more towards you know okay, you get some shows and nonprofits, and maybe I try the you know I was I was trying different things out to see what my path would be. But then again, it's also wrapped up in just the work Protestant work ethic thing. You know, the idea that if you just work hard enough and you put enough hours in, success will just magically happen. Yeah. Like if you work hard enough, eventually something will break because your labor has to be meaningful. And the way that we draw meaning is through a lot of times commercial gallery representation, whether or not that's really where we should be drawing our, <laughs> our <laughs> confidence from, I think is one of the questions that, that we're digging into here. But I think the road to self-acceptance, like at least as we're, we're seeing it here, is it's quite a long path for all of us, you know? And it's not one straight line. I mean, there's certain yeah. times that I was... You know, I had a, I got a gallery. Uh, I was at his Heskin. When you saw my work in 2007, I was there with Heskin Contemporary. And I thought, this is it. I got a gallery, you know. Right. Um, this now is my I'm going. 
Yeah. I'm, this is, you know, I had a solo show. I went to Aqua. I was in Scope. And uh, I sold a couple of pieces. I had heard that Roberta Smith came to the show. But I didn't know how to to even help my gallery. Like she would tell me things to do, but I wouldn't do them because I, I was overwhelmed with just trying to figure out my work. And I didn't realize how important it was to do these things, like putting together, kind of things? putting together like a, a folder of, you know, your stuff and, and sending it to museums or sending it to, to, to art college galleries, uh, little booklets of your art and, you know, following up with Roberta Smith, you know, it's just, writing letters, say thank you. And that kind of thing. I just didn't do that stuff. I was never good at writing thank you letters, you know, and I didn't, I never, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm just making my art like, you know, just trying, I was still writing on this follow your bliss thing, you know? Yeah. And not, not realizing how important these little things were for my career. Like for example, networking, going to shows and seeing other people's art, I let my fear of not remembering people's names and just fear of people in general, you know, just insecurities and afraid that they wouldn't like me or whatever. It was just easier to just avoid it and go to my, hide in my studio. I mean, it's so interesting to hear this because uh, for anybody who knows Julie, like you come off as this extremely kind of gregarious, like, uh, life of the party type of artist that openings that everybody wants to be around, you know, cause you, you know, a lot of people and you're friendly uh, and you're a good conversationalist. Okay. I'm just going to let that wash over me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, you know, my internal voice is, Oh my God, you're talking too fast. You sound nervous. Did I make them feel uncomfortable? Like I, I have all these conversations with myself afterwards that give me so much anxiety that the next time there's a time to go out and be at an event, I feel nervous about it. But then when I'm there, I feel good about it. But then I question myself afterwards. I don't know if this is, I feel like this is probably common, but maybe it's not. <laughs> I don't know. I think and, it's quite common. I like it is not unusual for me, for example, to receive emails from people after their exhibitions apologizing for something they said that I don't remember at all. Because, like you, I don't remember anybody's name. That's really <laughs> unfortunate given my particular line of work. <laughs> I was complaining to Stephen the other day. I was just like, everybody has a name every single person and it's all different you know that is very stressful and also because there are so many different components to the particular business that i run i really just don't remember a lot period all of which is to say that and i don't even think i'm that special i think that our job as humans is to be concerned with ourselves and so while you may be doing your job worrying about how you're coming off to somebody else, for the most part, people just aren't noticing that much or it doesn't have nearly the impact that we give it. I, and I know that intellectually. I know it. after. I mean, that's what my long, many years of experience have taught me, that you know, people really 
are way more concerned with their own neurosis than they are with mine. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And that also it really doesn't matter. You know, what really matters is showing up and connecting. And and I'm not gonna do it perfectly ever. And that's the same and that that can be a metaphor for everything. Well, you know, and I think art and everything. I think that's such a good point that because we do really get caught up in things that don't matter. And I think that when we get caught up in things that don't matter, it really has to do with emotional baggage that we have to navigate. You know, I think I often am worried about what I said, whether I said something the exact right way so that it actually helped somebody or made something worse. And, (laughs) you know, but oftentimes all of that is anxiety that is not to do with the core goal. And if you can always keep the goal in mind, you know, whatever that goal is, like if the goal is connection, like a lot of the stuff that you're worried about, like, did I connect right? Doesn't matter. Exactly. It just doesn't. And I think the real challenge is kind of like, okay, well, how do we, you know, now that we're in our 40s and 50s or whatever, like we have more uh, experience navigating this stuff. Like how do we really put it into action? So these things that we know don't continue to fucking plague us. (laughs) It's like, I think things... I think that is the beauty of getting to be a mid-career artist is that you have more self-acceptance and with that also comes self-awareness, right? Like one of the reasons we don't have a lot of self-acceptance when we're younger is that we don't know ourselves very, very well yet. We're young. We haven't had enough time to really know who we are. And by the time we get older, it's a different ball of wax. Totally. I mean, what I tell my students, you know, I teach now and I teach artists who, who are 13 and are applying to New York City art high schools. And I'm teaching them portfolio and it's like such a young age. And I, I really, I, I actually have to be thankful to my Cooper experience because I feel like it, it has made me extremely sensitive to how crushing what a older person who's in a position position of authority, especially an art authority, um, how crushing it can be to a young ego if they say that you're doing something wrong or or anything. So the way what I always say to them is that you're going to learn a skill in here. Uh, this has nothing to do with your voice and. For these portfolios, they want you to learn the skill of observational drawing. It is one of the primary skills they want to see where you're at uh, with. And I will teach you this skill. And it's just like reading or writing, but they don't teach it in uh, in school. So, you know, you may be just learning your ABCs or you may be learning uh, at a higher level. Everybody comes in it at a different skill level but it is your practice and it is a practice just like yoga or any sport 
for running, as I know you do, Patty. <laughs> yeah. I love you. I love your running metaphors because it's so true. No matter what age you're at, is that at 53? I just turned 53 yesterday. At 53, happy birthday! By thank the way, you. <laughs> I'm still engaging in a practice. Like we are practicing from the time we're born how to be in this world. And I'm still practicing uh, how to be in the art world. Just like I've told, you know, when I, when I had my son 14 years ago, I felt completely in another universe again, like didn't know who I was. I lost my bearings. I had to be patient with myself then and realize I was going to make mistakes and that he was going to make mistakes, and he's dealing with this now too. And the main thing that I always try to keep in mind that I learned when he was young was that you, he'll say he would say, "I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm not good at this." And I would always add the word "yet," because um, and that's a common parenting thing that you learn. But it's so hard for me to apply it to myself. It has been. I can't do this yet. Yet. I can't do it yet because it allow just that little word allows for growth. And I, I didn't learn that. I somehow, I didn't learn that I was allowed to do things imperfectly and, uh, and, and to always be growing. You, you master things and, and back to self-acceptance. There is a point at which you keep mastering things. And at this time in my life, I realized that I've mastered a lot that I wasn't owning. And I've only recently, I mean, and there's stages of this too. I've owned it in the past at certain points, but recently, and now I'm going to get to the, I don't know if you, like, I want to talk about, um, I had kind of a, a spell since my son was born really where I stopped trying to engage in being in the art world as much. My gallery closed when he was young and I didn't try to find another gallery. I was in shows still and I still did things, but I wasn't working at it as hard. I focused on him more. And even though I kept doing it, I, I stopped trying to figure it out. And I was just like, there's other things more important right now. And what am I trying to say? I was trying to get to the point of where I am now, which is I went to, I started seeing on Instagram about a little more than a year ago, this show Spring Break that uh, people were posting about their work in Spring Break. Uh, uh, and my, my Instagram blew up with all this work from Spring Break. And I was like, what is this Spring Break thing? I and noticed- who are listening spring break is uh, an art fair that runs in both New York and LA. And it's really sort of artist led, although they describe themselves as themselves as curator led, but most of the artists are curators and they curate themselves and other artists into uh, shows. And the price point for participation is very artist friendly. So, um, so that is the fair that we are speaking about. Right. So I went, I was like, okay, I'm going to go. I got to get out of my studio. I just got to get out of here. Cause this, this work I'm seeing, uh, uh, 
it looks an awful lot like the crafty stuff that is an art that is now art. And, you know, it's suddenly, it seemed like all this, these materials and methods that I had been using for decades were in this hot new art fair. And so I went and I was like, I was so amazed and just excited and everything, but also so pissed off. Because <laughs> I was like, shit, I mean, this is my boat and I'm missing it. Like, I, I, I'm missing this, you know, like, what? like I had this sudden urgency. I felt like, you know, I had rearranged my priorities and everything, but, and I was jealous and I, you know, which I used to feel really bad about being jealous, but now I see it really as information. It's like, okay, there's, this is, there's a message in this jealousy. It means I want this and I need to yeah. pay attention to it, you know? It, and and that doesn't in the past when I got jealous, I would avoid whoever it was I was jealous of. I would go the other direction. And now I'm going towards it just by that shift, you know, realizing that uh, it's not something to to be afraid of. It's human. It's okay. Everybody gets jealous. And it's actually information. That does have to do with with the theme that that we're talking about today to do with self-acceptance. Absolutely. My realization that I really, what happened to me at the art fair was I belong here. And, oh my God, <laughs> you can't see this, but I'm tearing up. Um, <laughs> I, I think that I didn't realize that that I just didn't feel like ever since I had left my comfy, you know, Tulsa, everybody thinks Julie's awesome um, and is going to be the next Picasso childhood uh, for like, you know, a few decades. I didn't really feel like I belonged. And I walked in there and I was like, I belong here. And I had a choice to decide whether I wanted to fight for that or not. And my heart told me, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot, you know, and things uh, started to happen again for me. So that kind of does actually, I've, I've felt that before when I got with Heskin, you know, I got a, I got a NIFA grant in 2001. I've made, I mean, I've done all these things. I just looked through what I've done over the past three decades and it's incredible. I have to say, like, I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> I did all of this. I made art for two playgrounds, uh, you know, and I bet I've had 10 solo shows. I, I was like, why did I never feel like I was good enough, uh, to belong? And so, you know, I will say that I, I do think that there is some baggage that comes with being very precocious as a child, because it's almost like no matter what you do, you don't live up to the expectation that Absolutely. you're Picasso <laughs> or whatever it is, right? Like, I feel like I've seen that with so many artists and so many creative people that that they feel like they don't live up to some impossible standard. Once you're able to feel like you belong somewhere, 
like some of that shit starts to melt away. And also, you know, part of my growth over the years has been dealing with the fact that, you know, there's this kind of weird place that artists hold in this society, you know, where we're supposed to be prophets and geniuses and all that. Um, and at the same time, there's no real nurturing uh, of artists. Yeah. And uh, there's just an, you know, kind of this admiration or adoration, but no support. And I think I believed those stories, those myths about actually how artists were more important in some, that those more important, that more important part of the story, I'm somehow, I must be special. Like I'm more important than other people because I can make these things. And, and I had to really examine that over the years of not being Picasso, you know, and just be like, actually, you know, why would that be any more important than any other person, no matter what they're doing? That is so true because, I mean, I went to art school too, and I came out with a lot of the same baggage that, that artists were somehow more important than anybody else, but also that I probably would never be good at business. And that, and there's also the kind of conflicting uh, social messages that you get from the larger culture, which is that art really isn't significant to anyone. And all of yeah. that stuff. Because it's not thought. business, which it is. Yeah, which is exactly. <laughs> and so all that stuff in a pot leaves you feeling very confused, but also I, I think sets us up for a lot of self-defeating behavior. And I think that is what a lot of us are working through now. Like how, okay, like I don't have to be bad at this. I just have to learn it. Like I, it is okay for me to make art in this way because it is the way that I make art, you know? And I think that can be really tough when the way that you make art is not in favor in the art world. You know, you lived with that for decades. Well, we were talking, you know, in preparation for this interview, we were talking about how you had like an opposite experience, right? It was all figure drawing and like conceptual art is not, there's no focus on it where you went to school. Like, and so, so like I never, as a teacher, I never want to be on either side of that, even though like, I'm clearly like, I don't, I don't get the conceptual art stuff as much. I don't, I will not invalidate it. The thing that I was talking about was actually like even broader than that. It was contemporary art. So like at the school that I went to, they really weren't teaching contemporary art, which when I was in high school, I didn't really know what the definition was. So I, you know, I went to a, like the school that my guidance counselor recommended that I go to. And when I got to grad school, like everybody wanted to go see a Matthew Barney show. And I was like, who's that? And that was a really rude awakening for me because what I communicated to my classmates was that I was not somebody worthy of paying attention to. And because you didn't, you didn't have because, this realm of knowledge. Exactly. And that, you know, I do think that that informed 
like that small exchange really informed how I view my participation in this world. So like, I, I feel like it's really important for me to have as much information as I can, because that's currency. And if I don't have it, then I know that I kind of, uh, I can delegitimize my stance. Well, that is so interesting to me because that little story just feeds so much into my own insecurity because I feel like I haven't paid enough attention. I mean, I know who Matthew Matthew Barney is and I, I know, I know the heavy hitters over the years that were talked to about at Cooper and, you know, stuff, but I don't follow the art world as much as I should. And I often don't know who people are talking about. I have a horrible memory. And these, this is some of the stuff I have to get over and just be like, okay, maybe someone will think that I'm, you know, valid because I don't know who they're talking about. And, but I just am like, you know, I know what I know. And like, I could, I, I, I'm just like, it's enough. And I will ask if I don't know who they are, you know? So I think that like, I mean, that does feed into like a subject that we have been talking about, which is the kind of fake it till you make it because one, uh, one response to, I don't have enough knowledge is when somebody says, who is the, like you starts talking about an artist, you just nod your head. Like, you know, <laughs> and maybe you pick it up maybe you don't well i mean what i'm gonna say whether i have ever done before <laughs> going back to my insecurity to openings like or in general like i tend to just i'm constantly i think too much in the direction of oh i don't know that can you do like, just like so honest that it shoots myself shoot I'm too much, so much of an overshare to a fault that I do think I shoot myself in the foot sometimes, but. Well, but I think it's, I, I actually think it's really important to be just transparent about the people you know and the people you don't know so you can learn things. Um, you know, I think, uh, of course, the trouble is, is that if you don't remember names, so like you can learn <laughs> something for 20 minutes and then it's gone, right? But I think that I think the thing to I think just keep in mind when it comes to the contemporary art world is just it's a an industry that is small enough that you can be expected to know more than any person can, right? So like if we were in the Wall Street world or tech or something like that, then the number of people that we would we wouldn't be expected to know so so many people because the world is is so large. Our world is small enough to have unrealistic expectations. <laughs> that's a really that's a really interesting point. I just want to talk about like strategy a little, yeah. which is that I now often you know, I've been being more open about this. I'll either leave the opening and write down someone's name if I can remember it in my phone or something, or or the artist name that is, you know, somebody else say, do you know this artist? And, you know, I'll just keep a little pad of paper in my backpack and write it down right there in front of them and say, or say, I'm going to write your name down right now. So I remember, because I have a bad memory. 
And, you know, it's like, it's just more acceptance. It's like, I'm a human. And I feel like the more, I mean, my mom's a therapist. So I think, you know, some, some of all this comes from being, having therapy in my life for my whole life. But I think that we're all human and like to, to just, it allows other people and I, it allows other people to not be perfect too, to see yeah, that you yeah. don't, and to see it's okay to do something like that, uh, to put out in the world the way you want the world to be, like instead of hiding it, you know, hiding yourself. What I want in the world is for it to be okay for shit like that to be, to happen. So you have like, for lack of a better word, strategies when it comes to um, self-acceptance in public, which is, it, it sounds to me like just trying to be as transparent as possible so that we can put everybody at ease. And then I just wondered, like inside the studio, how does, like, how do you work through self-acceptance there? Well, you know, I feel like it's very tied into, well, it's definitely accepting that I'm intuitive. Yeah, we've talked a bunch uh, about a bunch of different things here, but I think like if I were to summarize some of the things that we've discussed, like we, we've sort of discussed some key moments in your life that have to do with self-acceptance. And they, I think your story sort of starts with um, the understanding that you were like the, the next Picasso leads into your experience at Cooper Union. Uh, a lot of kind of self-doubt that arises from that, your experience working in the craft world, uh, your experience showing at galleries, and your current experience, which involves some amount of reflection, like this is what I've done. I can see as I reflect on that I have actually achieved quite a bit and some amount of self-acceptance that comes with the self-knowledge that we all have as we get a little bit older, um, which I think is like hard earned. Now, if you look back on this, like is there like a particular turning point that might seem instructive to others that you'd want to share anything more about or do you feel like that story is complete as as I just summarized just now? I think you did a pretty good job. I I mean I you know you you t the the main you know that the, the self acceptance was kind of you know there's different points in my life that I've accepted myself and that and and right along with that if I look back when I have the some great things have happened because of it because the confidence uh, uh, I've felt confident and secure in things I think there's only one thing that I didn't mention that I feel like uh is connected which is that and I don't know you know if you you can cut this if you want but when I found my partner before that I was in a very damaging relationship uh, and a part of it was because I didn't believe I was enough. I wasn't worth it. And, and when I realized I wasn't willing to accept that anymore and that I felt, I felt worth more. Uh, 
my partner, er, er, uh, he arrived. It was like he was there. He was actually there all along. And I feel like it's a good metaphor for life in general and for success, however you want to frame it in the art world or whatever world you choose to be in, whatever you want, is that that this acceptance that you belong or that you're worthy will bring it, you know, or can bring it. I think Something that's like totally, that. I mean, that is totally relevant because I think that maybe the larger point is surround yourself with people who you want to be around, who raise your level of excellence and whose excellence you can raise yourself. And, you know, mm -hmm. I think that this is something that particularly women deal with where they find uh, partners that are ill-matched for them in ways that end up being kind of abusive in various ways. And that when you find the, the right partner, I think you're able to focus on uh, self-acceptance a little bit more because you have somebody who's with you who like just has seen the very worst of it. <laughs> you know? And if they can accept you. They then... accept it. <laughs> you're just like, this is who I am. And I, I guess that's how, that's the, that's the, what I'm trying to say is like, listen, art world, world, this is who I am. And, you know, <laughs> take it or leave it. Like, um, you know, I'm, I, and I think that kind of, that kind of acceptance can bring good things because you're, you're, you're accepting who you are. I know it can sound a little bit cliche, but that is exactly, I, I think the, the take home point of this is that once you start being more comfortable with yourself and accepting of yourself, you're able to put more out there. And that means that more is going to come back to you. And I think also, ideally, by the time you get a little bit older, you can have a little bit more clarity on what your goals are and how to stay focused on them, because there's a lot of distractions along the way. And I think probably the biggest one is a lack of self-acceptance. Once we start accepting who we are and understanding that that acceptance does not preclude growth. Because I think the lack of self, what comes, the core takeaway of a lack of self-acceptance is uh, the belief that there are some things that you will just never be or can never learn. And the fact is, is that there's a lot more that's malleable about ourselves than I think we give ourselves credit for. I, I want, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking, I don't want people to feel like, you know, it's just like, oh, just accept yourself and everything will work out. Like, it's not that... You know, because it's like kind of like, oh, to hell with you. Like, you know, like I can't, I just because I can't accept, you know, like g give me some tools for that, you know. And, um, and, but I think that the, the more important thing is that it's, is accepting also, I think maybe what you're trying to say is accepting that you can grow 
still and you just keep doing it whether or not you feel like you're good at it and you'll get good at it. Or good enough. Like that's the thing. Good enough. Like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> we we don't have to be great at everything and we probably like we shouldn't be. Like I think it'd be mm-hmm. really hard to make decisions about what we were going to do if we were the best at everything. Like Yeah. You know, I think the core part of my message here is it just self-acceptance is a way of getting out of our own ways. You know, because mm-hmm. I feel like so many artists I talk to, myself included in this, like have spent years roadblocking our own progress. Yeah. And that's the beauty of being like middle age and mid career is that you don't have to accept like your own bullshit. Yeah. Like, well, Julie, thanks so much for coming in. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And I think this might mark the longest Art Problems episode to date. And that is because this is a very complicated subject. So I was really glad to have somebody in, such as yourself, who's like so sensitive about these issues. Thank you so much, Patty. This has been so amazing for me and uh i appreciate you and all you do thanks again thank you all right thank you for listening if you like the show please leave a review and share it with a friend it really helps get that valuable information out to more artists just like you you can find all of the names and the links that we reference in this conversation at workshop.art slash podcast.